Why is gossip so tempting? Maybe you found yourself in the middle of gossip and regretting it, but after it's too late. Why does it seem so easy to slip into? For some people, the faults of others are just so easy to detect. And for others, there's different pet peeves that will provoke an immediate response, perhaps a passionate response, one of great anger and patience. And sometimes after a long day, we go to someone that we love and we vent because we think it's going to make us feel better. And as we're venting, we tend to exaggerate the faults of others, and we also tend to minimize or completely ignore the faults of our own in order to make our venting justified. And then we start to realize we did it again. We gossiped. Why is it so tempting? Today, Jesus tells a parable about the importance of being humble. And he tells this parable about comparing, uh, comparing the Pharisee and the tax collector. And, you know, because we've been going to church for most of our lives, many of us, um, we've been hearing stories about the Pharisees, and it seems like Jesus is always pretty harsh on the Pharisees. So in our 21st century brain, when we hear the word Pharisee, we think, red flag, don't be like them. But whenever Jesus was telling this parable, it was quite the opposite. Because the Pharisees had a great reputation in first century Judaism. The Pharisees were the ones that were visibly devout. The Pharisees were the ones that were following all the right rules. They were doing all the right things. And so they were someone to aspire toward. They were someone to imitate. Whereas a tax collector in first century Judaism was someone that provoked anger, repugnance, frustration. There was not a lot of love for the tax collectors because they were the Jews who were betraying their own people by taking, by, by charging even higher taxes on them in order to pay the Roman government and keep quite a bit for themselves. So Jesus tells this parable, and immediately as the Jews are listening to this parable, they would have thought, okay, pay attention to the, to the Pharisee and not to the tax collector. And both of these characters go to the temple to pray, but they do things a little bit different. Pharisee stands in the front, The tax collector stands in the back, far off at a distance. The Pharisee has a sense of righteousness about him, whereas the tax collector beats his breast as a sign of humility. The Pharisee is judging others. Thank you, Lord, for not making me so greedy and adulterous or even like this tax collector. Tax collector, however, judges himself. Oh, God, be merciful to me, me, a sinner. The Pharisee, this is really quite comical when you actually look at the scripture. It says he doesn't pray to God. It says he prays to himself, whereas the tax collector prays to God. And as often occurs in in parables, there's usually a twist. And the twist here is that Jesus says, okay, well, which of the ones do you believe went home justified. And the twist is that it's not who you would expect. It's not the Pharisee. Instead, it is the tax collector. Why? Because of his humility. 
which Jesus makes quite clear for us today. That even though the Pharisee is doing all the right things, following all the right rules, is reverent in the temple and devout in his spirituality, even though all those things, he has all the boxes checked, because of his pride, he goes away unforgiven. And the tax collector, even though he is not well-liked, even though he's filled with sin, even though he has made lots of bad choices, because of his humility, he is forgiven. So I want us to think today, this morning, just to be honest with ourselves as we evaluate our own life, we all might have different um, stories on how well we live the Christian life. Some of us may be more devout than others. Some of us may spend more time in prayer than others. Some of us might have more public, scandalous behavior than others. But here's a question that's really important because all of us are imperfect and all of us find ourselves sinning. When you sin, what happens next for you? What do you do after you sin? You see, because that's the real crucial moment. It's not if you sin, it's when you sin. And when you sin, how do you respond? What do you do next? Because this is the difference between heaven and hell. This is the difference between saint and sinner. It's what happens after the sin. Do you make excuses for yourself? Blaming other people for the reason why you sinned, making excuses on all the justifications, you're tired, you're hungry, it's been a long day, you've been, you know, not treated very well today, and you make all these excuses on why you sin. Or maybe you convince yourself that you really didn't sin anyway. You convince yourself that it really isn't that big of a deal, that that you didn't really mean to do it, and because you had the right intention, or because you're, you're still good on the inside, that it's, not, it's all right, it's not actually a sin, and we're just going to forget about it, block it out of our memory. Or third, do you compare yourself to other sinners, recognizing others who are greater sinners, which then gives you confidence, because at least you're not as bad as them. And so you start identifying and searching for the faults in others so that you can build yourself up as someone who's at least not as terrible as those people over there. Unfortunately, when we sin, we often take one of those three routes. Oftentimes, because of the shame, because we just can't believe we actually did that, because we don't want to admit it to ourselves, we either make excuses, we convince ourselves that it really wasn't that bad, or we compare ourselves to other people who are worse. And all three of those routes are on the path of destruction. All three of those routes are an evidence of self-reliance which is another word for pride. All three of those routes are not relying on God, but instead are turning our backs and running far away from Him. What if instead, when we sin, we immediately say the prayer that the tax collector prays in today's parable? 
O God, be merciful to me, a sinner. It's so simple, but it takes a lot of humility to pause right there immediately and quickly. Right after we sin, to say that prayer, O God, be merciful to me, a sinner. To recognize that we are imperfect. To recognize that we do mess up. To recognize that our sin is a big deal and it is our fault. To take ownership whenever we make mistakes. And in humility to, with confidence and in haste, run to the God who is merciful. The only thing that keeps God from forgiving us is whenever we don't go to him. God freely shares his mercy with each of us when we receive it, when we welcome it, when we open ourselves for it. But he cannot forgive a hardened heart. He cannot forgive the unrepentant sinner. He cannot forgive the one who makes excuses or who convinces himself that it really wasn't a sin, or who just compares himself judging others and therefore not taking full ownership for what we've done. But in humility, if we recognize what we've done, if we go to the Lord and give him our sin, there's nothing happier, there's nothing that makes him happier than to forgive the repentant sinner. We know that pride is the mother of all, virt- of all vice, um, which is to say that all sin can, can really find its root or at least some type of connection to that, that pride, that sense of self-reliance, that turning away from God. But on the flip side, humility is the opposite of pride. Humility is not relying on ourselves, but rather relying upon God. Humility is the mother of all virtue. It's the beginning and the foundation of the spiritual life. It's the first part of prayer. Sometimes when we think of humility, we think of, you know, sheepishness, being shy, being, you know, um, submissive, like take, like someone that gets taken advantage of. Sometimes we think of low confidence or insecurities. And that's not at all what humility is. In fact, quite the opposite. Humility is reliance on God. And as we rely upon God, we become more confident. We become strengthened on the inside. We become ready to serve others, attentive to the needs of others. It's not weakness but strength. It's not insecurity, but confidence because we rely upon Jesus. Today, we want to pray for that virtue of humility. It's difficult, but all throughout scripture, Jesus brings us up. And even in the Old Testament, it comes up. There's a number of places. I think of uh, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the land. I think of how God lifts up the lowly, as we see in the Magnificat in Luke's gospel. Or I also think of how Jesus says, unless you become like this child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And that's just to name a few. There's so many passages about humility throughout scripture because it's so foundational. It's so important. If you desire to be more patient, 
if you desire to be more fulfilled, if you desire to be less anxious, if you desire to grow in your spiritual life, to build character, if you desire to have a good experience in prayer, all of that begins with humility. And so that's our prayer today, that the Lord would increase our humility and squash our pride. Because Jesus says, he who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Amen. Amen.